0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Open your Bibles, please, or uh, open your phones, uh, however you access the Bible. Um, Acts chapter 17, and uh, we'll be looking at uh, several verses, kind of uh, middle to end of the chapter, beginning with verse uh, 16, in, in just a little bit. We're still in our series, uh, To Do in 22, and we've got a lot to cover today, so I'm just going to give a really, really fast review and uh, just say that the idea for this series comes from James, the earthly brother of Jesus, where he says, don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers. And, And can I just put it out really out there where we can all understand it? I think James is saying... Let's actually do something about that addiction. Let's actually do something about that broken relationship. Let's actually do something about that habitual sin. Let's let's do something about our upside-down finances, not just talk about it. Let's let's do something about our messed-up family. Let's, Let's actually get back in church and not just talk about how we need to. And James says, doing is what gets us credit with God, not just talking about it. Talk is cheap. And if you want to get in on uh, past lessons, as always, you can go to our church website, access this series and, and, and others as well. Now, today's lesson was born out of a burden that just sometimes really presses in on me. And, and it's the burden, and, and, and sometimes I think it's, it's a fear that in our community, partially because of these reasons, partially because of the fact that many people call themselves conservatives politically or, or because of the fact that they were raised in church as a child or maybe even baptized or they're good, upstanding citizens in our country. But my fear, because of those reasons that I mentioned, they equate those things as checking the right boxes as the requirements to go to heaven. And and so my fear, my burden is that there are many good people who are going through life without having experienced regeneration or or salvation or justification, if you want to get really theological here. that they, They haven't, they don't truly know Jesus. But along with that, kind of a side burden would be For those who at one time did very obviously possess an experience with God that was real. But over time, there's been the drift. They've drifted away from God. And and that relationship with Jesus has become lukewarm or casual. So let me just kind of throw out a question. And we're just going to let it hang over us for the duration of our, our, our lesson today. Here's the question. Do you Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And and I think probably the reaction within most of us is is, Joe, I'm in church. Of course I know Jesus. I've been baptized. Of course I know Jesus. But do you really know Jesus? what causes you to say you know Jesus? And and I'm not saying you don't know Jesus, but but what are you basing it on? Are are you basing it on being here this morning? Are you basing it on your your conservative political stance? Are are you basing it on the fact that you're patriotic, flag-waving, pledge saying? You use little cliches that include God? Take away all those things. Do you know Jesus? Now, to kind of propel us in the right direction, um, we've got to build a foundation, and I want to talk about starting points. I don't think anybody would deny that everything in life must have a starting point. For example, romance has a starting point. Um, some of you can remember the first time you fell in love. You were seven years old. You fell in love with a 22-year-old college girl or college boy. Or in this church, this is no lie, not too long ago, a seven-year-old boy had a crush on a lady that was in her 50s. And I would have said that he was after her money, except that that lady happened to be my wife. And so I'm not too sure that they would have been happy with her net worth. But romance has a starting point. And you don't come out of your mother's womb with a romantic love, with the romantic love for the person that you will eventually fall in love with. There is a starting point. Your marriage also has to have a starting point. You know, when you repeat your vows to each other, and, and the minister pronounces you husband and wife, and, and two witnesses, and the minister signed the marriage license, that's the starting point in your marriage. It doesn't matter if you've been living together. It doesn't matter if you've been calling each other babe or hun or cutie pie or daisy or sugar bear or twinkle pants. Before God, before the state of Missouri, there has to be a legal starting point in a marriage. Parenting also has a starting point. You're you're not a parent until you have kids. You can have kids through childbearing, through adoption or foster care but you got to have kids to be a parent. Everything has a starting point. But sometimes I think that we forget that our relationship with Jesus Christ must also have a starting point. Contrary to what many would believe, our spiritual birth does not automatically begin with our physical birth. Our spiritual birth does not begin just because we are American citizens that live in the Bible belt of our country. Our spiritual birth does not just beca- begin because we come out against abortion and same-sex marriage and euthanasia and everything else that, you know, we're passionate about. Neither does our spiritual birth just come about because we grew up in a Christian home. And, and I praise God for my spiritual heritage. My, my parents were... were a godly role model, examples for my life. But but there came a starting point in 1966 where I knelt at an altar, I gave my heart to Jesus, there had to be a starting point. Our relationship with, with Jesus Christ comes about when our hand of faith reaches up and God's hand of grace reaches down and there's genuine confession, there's forgiveness, there's the forsaking of our sins, and a commitment to follow Jesus, there must be a starting point. Now, I do believe that many of us here had that starting point. For probably the majority of us, our faith journey began as a child, maybe after a conversation with a parent, or after something we heard in church, or at a church camp, or at a vacation Bible school. And at that moment, something clicked within us, and and we were convicted of our sins and we asked Jesus to come into our hearts and our faith journey began. Well, then after we began following Jesus as children, we began to develop a framework for our faith and we learned conce- concepts such as Satan is bad, God is good. And that sometimes led us into a little prayer before meals that went something like this. Anybody ever hear this? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food, Amen. Anybody ever say that prayer or hear that prayer? Yeah. Well, then as we continue to build a framework for our faith, somebody told us, "Well, well, God punishes evil but rewards good," and so we were told, "You need to be a good boy, you need to be a good girl." And then we began to learn about prayer, and into the framework of our faith was built that little statement. Have you ever heard this before? God answers prayer. That was built in there. And then depending on our church tradition, many of us were, were also told, not only does God answer prayer, but He speaks to us, and, and we would hear those older Christians, we used to call them the saints of God, and they would stand up, sometimes tears running down their faces, and, and they would just tell how God had spoken to them, and sometimes told them to do something, sometimes told them not to do something. Little by little, the foundation was being built for our faith in Jesus. But what happened in so many cases, and and certainly not in all, but when we got older, many times that simple faith that we had as children began to take a hit. We got distracted. Some of us went out, we sowed our wild oats. We took up some bad habits and addictions. Others of us found priorities that that leapfrogged the priority of our relationship with Jesus. And and even though we still claim to be serving Jesus, yet in reality what we did was we kind of... Put our relationship with Jesus on the back burner. It was in the background. Or perhaps even very recently, the COVID pandemic took, kind of knocked us off our props. That was kind of what it was that caused the spiritual struggle. In other cases, that relationship with Jesus took a hit as we begin to find it hard to reconcile things such as why do bad things happen to good people or or why do good things happen to bad people? And that simple faith of, well, you know, just pray and God will answer you Or, or just pray and God will speak to you. We found that it did not always work out in the literal sense that we had come to believe as children. And so what took place in many instances is that our childhood faith that that started off so fresh and so genuine, you know, the pressures of life, the temptations and and a pandemic and, and maybe an agnostic teacher as well as being bullied into becoming, listen, a tolerant society that demands acceptance for any type of behavior, lifestyle, even morality, that all began to just chip away at that childhood faith. And some of us found ourselves at the crossroads, not knowing what to believe. You know, on one hand, we wanted to hold on to the faith of our childhood. We wanted to hold on to the principles of marriage and morality of our parents. But there was such a backlash for that. And and there was a continual bombardment from our culture that that began to bring in doubts. And, And we began to say, this is what I was taught, but I'm beginning to wonder now. And the result is that because of a host of reasons, many, many good people didn't necessarily throw away their faith and they didn't necessarily become agnostics or atheists. But here's what happened. They backed off and became distant and distracted, sometimes even skeptical and cynical. And even though some of them continued to go to church, yet their faith evolved. This this is truly what has happened with a lot of people faith has evolved into a social tradition or a faith that stayed on the back burner rather than a vibrant reality that impacted their daily lives now to help bring clarity to this matter of knowing jesus for the rest of our lesson what i want to do is to go back to the starting point or the foundation of our faith and I think a lot of people would be confused on what the foundation would be. You know, for example, down through the years, I've had many people that have come to me and they say, Pastor, I'll just admit to you, I've gotten off track in my walk with God. And, and then sometimes they'll jump in there and say, but, but I know what I need to do. You know, first thing I need to do, I... And, and, and they'll mention two things. They'll say, first of all, Joe, I I need to get back in church. You know, I've been slacking. I know I need to be in church. But then the second thing the people that are strayed away from God would typically say, I know I need to start reading my Bible again. Now, I, I don't disagree with either one of those actions. Coming together with other believers is backed by the Bible. And, and by the way, I want to be kind, but for those of you that are maybe watching the live stream and You know what, if we're not coming together with other believers, we aren't just slacking, but we're also not following the directives that Jesus gives in His Word. And and then spending time in God's Word is necessary. And and, and if you, as a Christian, you're not feeding on the Word of God daily, you know what? You are on a hunger strike. And and picture in in your mind a, a person That is skin and bone, starving to death. We've seen tragic pictures of children like that in other countries. That's what it is. Whenever we do not feed daily from God's Word, we're starving to death. So even though necessary, going to church, reading the Bible... They're good, but they do not transform the heart. And so what happens when people say, I've strayed away from God, but I know what I need to do. I need to get back in church. They get back in church, and I need to be in the Word. They get back in the Word, and we begin to equate those things, and we say, okay, because I'm doing better. We think that we're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But nowhere in the Bible do we find that those things translate into spiritual transformation. They are not the starting point of knowing Jesus. So the question we really need to figure out is, what's the starting point of our faith? What was the starting point for the early church? What was it that caused the early church to know Jesus and and have a spiritual fire that was so hot that it made it clear to Cedar County? To find that starting point, here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen in. We're going to eavesdrop in on a conversation that took place about 20 years after Christ ascended up to to heaven. This conversation is between the Apostle Paul and and, and a group of people, unchurched people, that knew nothing about Jesus. Uh, These people have no clue what it means to follow Jesus. This conversation, again, comes from the book of Acts, and a couple of months ago, not that you would remember this, but we reference this story, but today we're going to come at it from a totally different, take, d- totally different angle. So, let's go. One afternoon, Paul finds himself in Athens, Greece. It's the same Athens, Greece that uh, is on the map today. Paul is waiting for a couple of his friends to get to Athens, so he's killing time. He's walking around the city, and he sees something that really bothers him. And that leads him to talk about what is the foundation or the starting point of the Christian faith. Let's read about that. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, so he was actually waiting for Silas and Timothy. They were colleagues of his. He was greatly distressed the, that the city to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned, and all that means is that he debated, discussed, in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, in Athens, because it was full of philosophers, engaging people in conversation about religion was not awkward. Now, today, religious discussions can get awkward really fast. In fact, if you go to Walmart, and you just grab 10 people, say, come on here, let's discuss religion, it's not going to go well. And people will go into a shell and say, well, I like to keep my religious beliefs private. But these people in Athens, they love to discuss religion. They love to debate philosophy. And so in verse 18, we read where a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers begin to dispute with him. Now, Uh, epicureans they believe that hey there's no way we can figure out life so let's just chill let's just veg have an extra glass of wine in the evening eat drink and be merry Um, let's just enjoy life now the stoics were different because they said if you give us enough time we'll figure things out the epicureans they can't figure out anything we can we'll you know we'll even be able to dot the i's cross the t's we'll make sense of it just give us some time So, Paul is engaged in discussion with these Epicurean Stoic philosophers. Some of them ask, What's this babbler trying to say? Now, why do they call Paul a babbler? Well, because they had never heard of this religion that he was talking about. And so others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now, there were already many, many gods in Athens. If you were raised in church, you know that uh, one of the writers said that uh, there were probably around 30,000 different gods there, a bunch of idols. And, and because of the massive number of gods, the city council, this is interesting, the city council in Athens decided that if you were going to introduce a new God, you were going to have, to have permission. Because in the past, here's what had happened. Somebody had come in with a new religion and uh, it, it divided the city and there was bloodshed. It got ugly. And so if you were going to introduce a new religion, you had to get a permit, kind of like a building permit, except it was a religious permit. Well, in verse finishing, verse 18, it says, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, Paul was not saying, catch this, the Bible says this. He was not saying the word of God says this. Why? You have any idea? There was no Bible then. So he was going back to Jesus. Well, verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? Now, the Areopagus was kind of a hub, and it was where they had civil trials. A city council would convene when they were deliberating important decisions. And so, you know, we've got a picture here. Um, that's just going up the steps that was kind of a mound there of rock. And, and that was where they would, uh, city council would meet and deliberate whether somebody could actually present a, a new religion. So um, the, the story comes on, uh, continues there in verse 20. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. That's what, they were, that's what they were saying. We want to know what they mean. So remember, these are people that did not live in a Bible belt where there's a church on every corner like we have in Eldredo Springs. They had no knowledge of Jesus. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, this is so key. What you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, try to picture in your mind a, a city that had altars everywhere to a bunch of different gods, but in case they happened to miss a god, they had built an altar to the one god that they had possibly missed, and, and they called it the altar to the unknown god. Listen, just in case. Just in case. Now, we chuckle at that um, but, but I, I really think that many people here in this part of the country are the same way. You, we've got little religious things that we pull out of the hat, just in case. That's why some people who don't go to church at any other time will still go to church on Christmas and Easter. In the church world, they're called the C&E Christians, Christmas and Easter. Do you know why? Just in case. That's why some people who have little time for Jesus will still wear a cross around their neck or get a tattoo of a cross on their arm or just in case. That's why people who are into drugs, a lot of other stuff, they will still say a little prayer before they go to bed just in case. So so Paul says, look, you're very religious and I commend you for wanting to make sure that you cover the bases when it comes to worshiping God. But he said, it's obvious, you're still wondering, is there something more than these 30,000 gods? So just in case you built this altar to the unknown God, and, and then Paul says this, talk about incredible strategy. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. In other words, what you're, you're calling this God unknown, but here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to take the un off of the unknown, and I'm going to make him known to you. And he says, verse 24, the God who made the world. So the God, the one God, not the pantheon of gods. In, in fact, in Rome, um, it, and it actually remains, those of you that went with us to Israel a few, few years back, and we actually uh, just made a stop in Rome on, on the way back home, but we got to see this, and, and it's what they call the, the pantheon and uh, it's just an, an, an amazing construction. There it is, and it's considered to be one of the best preserved buildings of ancient Rome, and if you would just actually go inside of this building, it's just unbelievable that it is so old but preserved so well, but, but the Pantheon was built for the many different Greek gods, but Paul said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands, and he's not served by human hands. So, so Paul was, was telling them that the God that you call unknown is so big, there's no way that you could build a temple big enough for him. And this God that's so big can't be served by human hands. And, and I've told you this, uh, you know, I've seen this in different countries at different times, but... This was in reference to the fact that they would serve their God's food. And and I've mentioned to you before that I've I've seen where they would take food or alcohol to an idol or an image of their God. And and so Paul was saying, you know what, you can go out there and put out a Coke or 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 some chips or french fries and and you can even put out some gold and silver, which the priest would probably steal off the altar after dark. But Paul said for this unknown God, he doesn't need any of that because this God sustains the entire universe. You know, he's not served by human hands. As that little chorus says, you know, you old-timers, if there's anybody here, you remember the little chorus, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every land. Anybody remember that, or am I the only one? I guess I'm the only one. Okay, my wife is old, too, and, and Cindy and Erica, you're old, too. But moving on, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So, Right, Paul is starting to get a little closer to the starting point for our um, for our relationship with God. Verse twenty six: From one man he made every nation of men, every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. So, this God that you're calling unknown is the God who decided when every nation would be born. And when it would die, and out of curiosity, do you know how many nations there are currently today? Anybody? Anybody for guess? 130. Um, there are 193 nations today, with, including the Vatican, which is considered an official nation. So you've got 194. Um, and do you happen to know the newest nation on earth? South Sudan split from Sudan in in 2011. So, what's that, 11 years ago? So, God decided all of that, and He decided when nations would rise, when nations would fall, where they would be located on the globe. Plus, Plus, Scripture says that God determined where we would live. He determined you would live here. He determined that I would live, I would be born in Bolivia, South America. But determined that I would spend a good part of my life here in Missouri. Verse twenty-seven. God did this so that men would seek Him, and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. Now, this word "reach," it's a fascinating word. If you go back into the to the Greek language, and uh, and, and the picture here is uh, kind of groping in the darkness and. I don't know if you've ever walked into a dark room and you know there's a light switch someplace and you're bumping around the furniture and walls trying to find that light switch. You're just groping around in the darkness. And, and, and Paul says, here you have all of these idols. You're groping around in the darkness. You're trying to find the right God. goes on and says, though He's not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring? Now, in this last verse, Paul does something so smart. He, he quotes, not, not from the New Testament, because again, there's no New Testament. He doesn't even quote from the Old Testament because they're Greeks, and they don't care about it. You know, the Old Testament actually, by the Jews, Jews called it the law and the prophets. But Paul uses some incredible strategy. Paul is shrewd and persuasive like an attorney, He's passionate like a preacher. He's strategic like a professor and able to think on his feet like a politician. And he says, hey, you're not far from the truth. And he quotes from their own poets where they said, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. What? 30,000 of them there. An image made by man's design and skill. So Paul is kind of jabbing them a little bit and saying, Come on, you guys are smarter than that. You know, you're not dummies. <laughs> you're Greek philosophers. You, you know that you can't make an image out of gold and silver that turns into a god. You know that? And then Paul. I love this. He starts trying to close the sale. You know, those of you who have been in sales, and I I have, and of course I'm still in sales trying to just cause people to um, come to Jesus, that's sales, but, and don't hold this against me please, but I used to sell insurance, Um, and um, after making a presentation, you would always feel it. You would always feel it. And, and it's like you turn the corner. It's like a runner that's going out to the, to the edge, and then you turn the corner, and it's like you feel it. This is the time. It's either now or never to close the deal, close the sale. And uh, Paul is there right now. He's turning the corner. And in verse 30, he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, He's been laying the foundation. You know, in the past, people didn't have a lot of spiritual understanding. They they didn't have a church there in in Athens on every corner like we have here. And and so for a period of time, God was willing to overlook their spiritual ignorance. But Paul said, this is a new day. This is a new chapter. But now, listen, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. In other words... Cedar County, St. Clair County, Vernon County, those of you that are watching from other states. No excuses. No exceptions. And now we need a drum roll. Because Paul finally gets to the starting point, the foundation. He says he's given proof of all this to all men by raising him from the dead. Paul says, here's the starting point. This is the foundation, the resurrection. And we have proof, and to which all the people around us say, proof, no. Paul, when it comes to God, it's all guesswork. That's why we've got 30,000 of them. We're, we're just trying to guess, and we've got one to the unknown God, just in case. And Paul, you can't be serious when you say we can know for sure. But Paul says, yes we have proof. There is proof that moves us from hope so to know so. We have proof that moves us from we'll just have to wait and see and hope and pray to we know. And what is that proof? The proof is that a baby was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and died a cruel death But on the third day, the proof that seals the deal, that closes the sale and gives us hope is that this God that was fully God but was also fully man, he defeated death and defeated Satan and defeated the cold tomb and resurrected from the dead. Paul says, that's the proof, which also happens to be the starting point for our faith. Were there not the resurrection, there wouldn't be a starting point. That's the foundation. You know, our foundation is not a church. It's not a book. It's not a tradition. It's a Savior who was crucified, but risen, and listen, and coming again. The Savior is coming again. I wish I could say that when the Athenians heard all that, that they all fell on their knees and repented and destroyed their altars but what happened then is pretty much what happens today you want to know what happened verse 32 when they heard about the resurrection of the dead some of them sneered (laughs) they said yeah right when people die they stay dead they sneered but then others said hmm we want to hear you again on this subject And that's the way it is today. When I preach or when you teach or anybody else preaches, there are those who react in a lighthearted way and kind of joke about it, but thank God, there are those that the Spirit touches and they go home and they pray and they seek God, which is also what happened in Athens. In verse 34, it says, "...a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris." And a number, a number of others. So we we circle back to the question that kicked off our study. You remember that question that we just kind of threw out there to hang? Do you know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? And again, knowing Jesus isn't just saying a little prayer every day to keep the devil away. Knowing Jesus isn't just coming to church or coming back to church. Knowing Jesus isn't just reading God's Word. Knowing Jesus isn't just finding answers to a bunch of difficult questions, such as, you know, did Noah really put all those animals in the ark or did the rain actually cover the entire earth? Were the days of creation twenty-four hour days, or were they longer periods of time? Can I just give you some advice on that? You can discuss that, but don't get lost in that stuff. If you love discussing those things, knock yourself out. And if you need any help, you know, call one eight hundred Jeremy Barger or whatever. Ryan Hubbard, one eight hundred Dennis Painter. I'm sure they would love to discuss that with you, but don't get lost there. When it comes to our faith, it must always go back to Jesus. And so when you come to me and say, well, pastor, I've gotten off track and I need to get back in church. That's great. But really more than that, if you've gotten off track, you need to get back to Jesus. And I think that when you get back to Jesus, you'll probably get back to church and you'll probably start reading your Bible. But don't get confused. Don't be confused on all the complicated box checking because the starting point, the foundation of our faith is really simple. It's about knowing Jesus. And so as we, um, as we come in for our landing today, I just again want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Today, today, have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? And and if you have, is he still number one in your life? Is he what drives everything you do, everything you think? Do you know Jesus? I got to church early this morning and Here was the prayer I felt led to pray. I prayed, God, don't let one person that is here today or is listening today, don't let one of them die and go to hell. Do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, the future is bright. That's what it's about. That's the starting point. That's the ending point. And that's every point in between. So could you just bow your heads, please? I want to ask you again, and I'm, I'm going to just pause. After I ask this question, I'm going to let there be silence because I really want you to be just praying. Do you know Jesus? Would you stand, please? You know, in our church tradition, we've had traditions where you can come forward and pray if you want to, but sometimes I think that uh, just right where we are, God does an equally powerful work in our hearts. But if any of you feel that you want to come and pray, you're welcome to come and kneel here at the altar. But I would ask you all just to make sure you know Jesus. And if you've maybe strayed away from Jesus, you've had the drift. You knew at one time there was such a personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus, but you've kind of taken a hit. Would you just today confess, come back to Jesus? Father, here in these closing moments of of our service today, God, would you help us to maybe just see ourselves as we really are? God, I pray that in such a real way that we would come back to Jesus. I think that we've made Christianity so complicated today. We've got such a long list of do's and don'ts and requirements, and yes, there are guidelines. Thank you for those guidelines that help us understand better lord that's not the foundation of our faith the foundation of our faith is knowing jesus and father i pray that today you would do a work in our hearts for those that maybe have never had an encounter with jesus christ they've been relying on a whole bunch of other things to help them to get to heaven i pray that today god they would just accept jesus and they would come to jesus and be justified by faith that their hand of faith would reach up and take hold of your hand of grace and. That there would be transformation, but then, Lord, for those that are not where they should be, I I pray, God, that in Your mercy, You would just, uh, Lord, in Your mercy, You would help people to come back from the drift. Lord, that there would be people today that would just say, you know what, I I, I as in the words of the Bible, backslidden, and Lord, I pray that You would just help us to. Uh, come back to you that, uh, Father, you would be number one in our hearts and lives. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.